Before we go to God's word, let's go together in prayer. Oh, Father God, we do thank you that you have condescended to us with, with the text. You've actually given us your very word. Lord, we ask that you would now open that word up to us, Lord. We don't want to hear a speech. We pray instead, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and build us up with the word of Christ. And we pray, Father God, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 16, uh, verses 16 through 22. And then a little bit later we'll be flipping over to John chapter 20. And so if you have your Bible apps handy, you can pull those out and get ready for that or pull out your actual Bibles. Or if you want to, you can have it in your, in your bulletin there, however you want to do it. We have it. And I, as I said to start out, I, I just love Easter. I do. because I guess it's because I like happy endings when you get right down to it. I'm just... I like movies that have happy endings. I'm just not sophisticated enough, you know, to... I like movies. I don't like films, right? Because films tend to not have a happy ending, right? You know what I'm talking about? Films tend to have, be watched by people who wear a lot of black, and they tend to end with everything messed up. And I don't get it. I mean, you know what I mean, right? Life is miserable. The plot's not resolved. It's kind of just really weird, and all of a sudden the screen fades to black, and then a nice cursive letters that says, Finn. And people around you are like, oh, wow, that was really poignant, and that was a great testament to the human spirit. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was terrible. What is that? Right? I guess that's why I'm in Orangeburg. Anyway, so, <laughs> you see, what I don't like is I don't like a catastrophe. I don't like that. Now, boys and girls, if you don't know what the word catastrophe means, you can probably pick up on that just by the way it sounds. Catastrophe. It's not good. It's that point in a story where everything comes undone. Everything falls apart. Everything unravels. I hate that. I don't like it at all. You know who else hated it? J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Hobbit, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. He hated catastrophes. In fact, he coined a term for the exact opposite of a catastrophe. He called it a eucatastrophe. Take the Greek word for good, you, and add it to these other Greek words, a eucatastrophe. I love that. It's that point in a story where everything is dark, everything is sorrow. Everything has come to a point where something bad is about to happen. You know it. They're playing minor chords in the background. Here it is. Get ready. But instead of everything falling apart, and instead, instead of everything unraveling, the hero actually makes everything come back together again. And a happy ending is ensured. And there's just explosion of joy, an explosion of triumph instead of darkness. That is a catastrophe. And we didn't have a word for that in the English language. So Tolkien, who was a Christian, he coined that term, and he really liked to use that term for today, for Easter. This is what he thought Easter was all about. If, if you would, would you look on the front of your bulletin for me? The very front of your bulletin here. Look what, he, look what Tolkien says. He says this. He says, the resurrection was the greatest catastrophe possible in the greatest story. And produces that essential emotion, Christian joy, which produces tears because it is qualitatively so like sorrow. Because it comes from those places where joy and sorrow are at one, reconciled, as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. 
That's Easter right there. There it is. And that's Easter week. We've, we've taken this journey through Easter week. We have the joy and the expectation of Palm Sunday. We have the somber and hinting darkness on Monday, Thursday with the Last Supper. We have the catastrophe of the cross on Friday. And now today, Easter Sunday morning, we have the catastrophe of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so to experience that resurrection... What I want to do is we have to put it kind of right up against the reality of the crucifixion. So I want to take you back to Thursday night. And we'll work our way forward to Easter. So if you will, let's look with me, either in your bulletin or on your apps or in your Bibles. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. This is God's word. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Truly. Truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This is God's word. And so as we walk through this text, Jesus is telling them that they're going to have a shock of sorrow. So they're back on Thursday night is when this text takes place. They're in the upper room. Jesus is talking to them. He's just given them a very hard truth, and it's kind of brought them down a little bit. But now he wants to give them joy to prepare them for what is coming. And so basically Jesus tells them, says, look, in a little while I'm going to go and you're going to be sad. It's almost as if he's talking to children who who really didn't understand. They, They really had no categories for what was about to happen. And so since they were confused and he could tell Jesus as he has to do so often with his disciples, he kind of just tells them straight up. Look with me at the first part of verse 20. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. I say to you, you will weep and lament. And they did. See, this morning what I want to do is I'm going to put you into the mind of the disciples. Let's try to walk their path over the past couple days. This man had been their whole life for three years. He, he was the center of their life. They had sacrificed for him. They loved him. They were excited to be in his inner circle when the kingdom came. But then it it really all happened so fast. Right after Jesus says all this stuff we just read in John, he prays over them. They go outside to a garden. He's arrested. He's taken away. And before lunch the next day, he's on the cross. It is just so fast for them. Their shock, their sorrow over Jesus was very real. They did weep. They did lament. And they didn't understand. They didn't get it then, but they would later that Jesus hung on the cross 
to pay the penalty for their sin. That Jesus died to take care of the real problem with people. You see, we aren't sick. We aren't broken. The scripture says we are dead in sin. And so Jesus died to take our place. The punishment we deserved for our sin, he took on himself. By his death, the death sentence on us is taken away. And we are given grace. They didn't know all that as they were watching it. They came to that understanding later. They were given the Holy Spirit. But at the time, they don't know what's happening. It's a complete catastrophe. All they knew is they had believed in this man. They put their hope in this man. They had a bright future with this man. And then they watched him die. And they had to wonder, was it all a joke? What was all that about? Here's what I mean. C.S. Lewis author of the Chronicles of Narnia and other great books, he has a book called A Grief Observed, which he got married very late in life, and his wife was an American, and she um, got cancer and died. And he kind of has it out with God in this book called A Grief Observed. He wonders, why did God let him have this woman in his life if she was to be taken away so quickly? Here's, Here's what he asks in one very poignant part of his book. He asks, Oh God, God, Why did you take such trouble to force this creature out of its shell if it is doomed to crawl back, to be sucked back into it? Can't you feel his anguish there? Can't you feel his hurt, his disappointment, his questioning? He had allowed himself to love deeply, and he suffered greatly at the loss. That's what the disciples were going through at this moment. They wept. They lamented. They were sorrowful. They didn't understand. If you've had a significant loss, if you've grieved that loss, maybe from the death of a loved one, maybe from the death of a dream or a hope you had for the future, you know that feeling, right? That heaviness, that that burden, that struggling to breathe and just makes it so hard to even function. As many of you know, I was a fire department chaplain years ago. And I'll I'll never forget the date because it was very easy. It was 10-10-10, October 10th. 2010. I, we pulled out of our neighborhood to go to church that evening. It was a Sunday. I was heading to evening church. I got on the interstate, and the interstate was empty. And I was like, uh-oh, the interstate is empty. There's only one reason the interstate's empty, and I pulled out my phone, and I had it on site, and sure enough, I had an alert from the fire department. There had been an accident on the interstate. I was heading in to do evening services. I couldn't respond, so I did my evening services. As soon as I got my kids dropped off, went down to the firehouse, and there had been a bad, I mean, bad accident on the interstate. Someone was texting while driving, looked up, flew across the interstate, hit three or four cars. Several children were killed. It was terrible. And the, the responding crew, the duty crew, they, they had done their job, dealt with this carnage, the only word to describe it. And they came back and they were just, they were just vapid, just, just sitting there, just empty. They couldn't respond, had that thousand yard stare. Just, and I mean, these are big grown men and I'd been with them long enough to, to, to be on the inner circle and a couple of them just broke down just wept in my chest from what they had seen it was it was terrible there was just no words i didn't say anything they didn't say anything we just sat there and that's the disciples on friday afternoon that's the disciples all day saturday that's the disciples sunday morning when they start hearing these weird reports 
And to add insult to this injury, Jesus was right that they would have sorrow and lament, but he was also right about what the world would do. Look with me at the middle of verse 20. What did he tell them? He said, the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. The authorities, the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, they were rejoicing. The Jewish court had won. It was time for celebration. Pilate reluctantly had dealt with a possible insurrection and uprising. So now everything is at rest. It's all good. But for the disciples, their lives are shattered. It's a catastrophe. But from that shock of sorrow, from that catastrophe, now our text turns to the catastrophe, an explosion of joy. So as we have seen so far, Jesus was right about the first part of verse 20. He's right at the middle part of verse 20. And now he promises in the last part of verse 20, your sorrow will turn into joy. See, Jesus tells them all this on Thursday night. He gives them a hint. He gives them a promise. He gives them a picture of what's coming. Look with me at verse 21, this great picture he gives them. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, I've never given birth, obviously, right? So, but I've, I've been to more than a few births. In fact, I've been to five, like actual, the moment birth. In fact, three of them, Nikki and I did at home on purpose. One of them, our help didn't show up in time, so it was just us. And the most recent one, I got to like actually be there and catch Benjamin, man. So I, I've been to the birth. I've been there. I get to, I, I've seen what Jesus is talking about, man. The room is filled with expectation. The room is filled with joy. There's furrowed brows. There's, there's criming. There's stress. There's struggling. There's noise. And then a child is born. And there's just this explosion of joy and excitement. I mean, so much so that all the pain, all the travail is forgotten by mama a lot sooner than it, dad forgets seeing it, I'll tell you that. See, and Jesus says that's going to be their reaction. It's an explosion of joy. It's Tolkien's you catastrophe. Everything comes together for a fantastic, happy ending. Now, this is important that you don't miss this. Jesus is not saying that they will all be free from sorrow forevermore after that that the rest of their lives will be happy and if you're a christian you should be happy 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 all the time 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 for most of these men their life ended pretty badly actually and for us life happens doesn't it stress comes christians get sad the promise is that all that sorrow is going to be swallowed up by joy in the end But it's even more specific than that. It's not merely that grief would be swallowed by joy. That the very thing which caused the overwhelming grief, the cross, the means of execution, would become the reason for rejoicing. Think about that promise. the, The cross will become the reason for rejoicing. The cross ruined the disciples' lives. But then, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus, the cross was the best news. Paul, another apostle later, would go on to say that he rejoices, he glories in the cross. See, the cross is where we come when we're exhausted for performing for God, when we're exhausted trying to be good religious people, 
when we're worn out from our failures to live up to God's standards, we just can't do it anymore. We can't be these good people. We're bad, messed up, broken people, and we're sick of performing. The cross is where we come and we hear Jesus say, stop trying so hard and just rest. I've got this. I've done the work for you. See, the cross is where good southern religious people who've been taught the whole time clean up and then come to church and hear about Jesus. Get to say, I'm so t- I can't clean up. The cross is where they came. No, come dirty and get cleaned up. I know we're of a certain ethnicity, but seriously, no amen for that one? Come on, goodness. See, and in the resurrection we hear after Jesus says, come to me and get cleaned up. In the resurrection, we hear God the Father shout to the world, I accept Jesus' work. Come and receive my grace. I want you to see this in the disciples themselves. So we'll have it up on a slide. You can turn there yourself. John chapter 20. Now let's go to Sunday. We've been at Thursday night. Now let's go to Sunday. John chapter 20, the first 10 verses. This is God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. See, could it, could it be that it's over just that fast? They don't, mean, they don't know for sure, but, but that one little bit of good news from Mary gave them hope. Wait, wait, maybe, wait, maybe. Let's, and they take off running to sea. And you know how it is, right? You can be down, you can be in a funk, you can just be sad. You don't want to see anyone, just leave me alone and let me wallow in my pity. Thank you very much. And that one little piece of good news comes, and it just changes everything. You know, it may not seem like a big deal now since we have five kids, but for the first several years of our marriage, we were told by several doctors in a row, y'all will, y'all will never have kids. I kept firing them because that was the wrong answer. We get another doctor until he, you know, we finally found one that gave us the right answer. But that, that was reality for us. And to have doctors tell you that over and over again, that was, that was, it formed the background noise to our life is the best way I can describe it. I mean, every moment of happiness, every moment of joy would immediately be tinged with that background static would immediately come in. And I remember the day came, I remember it well, the last year of grad school, sitting in our little study cubicle that the on-campus housing has for students, and it's like a glorified closet with a shelf, basically, studying, door opens behind me, and Nikki just sticks this thing in my head, in front of my face, and goes, I'm pregnant. You catastrophe, right? Just explosion of joy. It was amazing. Everything changed in a moment. The background static was gone. And now look with me at when the background static leaves them, verses 19 through 20, John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, 
the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And it's the national championship. It's been neck and neck all game. And in the final seconds, they're behind. At the last possible moment, your team scores. And so you say, well, that was just fantastic. Right? No, right? You jump up. That's the disciples. I love how the ESV, because this is church. This is a religious book. They translate this Greek phrase. And the disciples were glad. Right? No, it says they shouted for joy. They couldn't believe it. They put their hands in the air and said, it's good. Go. They have the resurrected Jesus back. He's back from the dead. The joy that Jesus promised is theirs. It's all just as he promised. Remember the promise. Back to Thursday night, John 16, 22. What's the promise? So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Now, let me ask you something. Is that in you? That's the question. Easter is a great time to get a gut check on your joy. Is it in you? Is it the foundation bedrock of your life? Peel it all away, and it's joy. No matter what happens, your center, your true north, it's joy. Do you want it to be? Because that's the kind of joy Jesus offers. Not an emotion, but a foundational reality in your life so that no matter what life throws at you, my Redeemer lives, and because He lives, I will live. Because He lives, I'm accepted by God. Because He lives, I don't have to perform for anybody. I'm grounded in the reality my Redeemer loves me. My Creator God accepts me. I can see His face, and He calls me His beloved child. That foundational joy, is that yours? I want to zoom in on that last phrase there. Look, no one will take your joy from you. What an incredible promise. Irrevocable joy can be yours. It's held out for you for the taking. That's what's offered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no less. Irrevocable joy. I mean, if Jesus Christ were just another teacher, so what about Jesus, honestly? If Jesus Christ is just another martyr, there have been lots of martyrs for lots of causes. So what about Jesus, to be candid? But if Jesus rose from the dead, if he defeated death, and he now offers you life and irrevocable joy, that's a game changer. See, this is not... Jesus coming and saying, well, just put on your happy face. And I know, you're, I know life is hard, but, you know, let's be, be, be joyful. No, this is real-life recognition of real pain and real sorrow. Jesus told them, it's going to stink. You're going to have anguish, but then it's going to be fixed. See, our pain has meaning through the resurrection That is the joy offered through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Not just that he'll gloss over your pain, but that he'll fix your pain. He'll fix what was broken. Hear me if you're sitting here and you're like, I I want me some of that joy. 
Okay, the resurrection is the key. Jesus Christ rose from the grave as Lord. Place your faith and trust in Him as the resurrected Lord and you will be saved. You cannot simply say Jesus Christ was a great teacher. He was. But He was also someone who claimed before it happened that He was God and that He would rise from the grave. And if I said that, you wouldn't believe me. And you would think I'm crazy. And you'd be right. You see, and that's the crux of the issue. Jesus Christ claimed to be God incarnate. And he claimed to have risen from the grave. And all of his followers claimed he did. And so you can't sit back in a smug, chronological snobbery. Like, those simplistic ancient folk. Oh, so funny what they would believe. But Jesus was a good teacher. I appreciate his moral teachings. No, Jesus was a lying, crazy person if he didn't rise from the grave. But if he did, he's the resurrected Lord who deserves our worship and our praise. And so I challenge you, who is Jesus? And if you do not know him as the resurrected Lord, I invite you even in these moments to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord God Almighty who destroyed death and who offers to you irreconcilable, irrevocable joy. It can be yours for the taking. If you're in Christ, he offers you that joy and no one can take it from you. For those of you who are Christians, if you've called yourself a Christian, but you're struggling to really believe in the resurrection and you don't really think you have joy. It's time to cast off all the religious baggage you grew up with, what I like to call churchianity. Just just get rid of all that stuff and simply place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord and he will give you joy. And do it now. Don't wait. Let's pray together.